0: It is hard to know quite what to make of William Pitt the Younger, more than two centuries after his death. He was clever and very young. Not only was he our youngest Prime Minister, but when he got the keys to Downing Street at the age of only 24, he had already turned the honour down twice before and had already lived at number 10 as Chancellor of the Exchequer. He would go on to become our second longest-serving Prime Minister. He was also capable of drinking prodigious quantities of port. You might well have caught him throwing up behind the speaker's chair, or giving the clerk a headache with his wine-laced breath, or oscillating all the way back to his carriage. He died in office at the age of just 46, having run the country at one of its most difficult periods, under mad King George III and through most of the French Revolutionary and Napoleonic Wars. A sight to make surrounding nations stare, a kingdom trusted to a schoolboy's care, read the satire The Rollyat. The cartoonist Gilray depicted Pitt's political opponent, Charles James Fox, as a schoolmaster whipping a student Pitt. Our interest in Pitt is that it was he who first introduced income tax in the UK. He didn't invent it. That place has to go to the Roman Republic or the Qing Dynasty in ancient China. In England, it had precursors of sorts, including Henry II's Saladin Tithe of 1188, eventually used to help fund the Third Crusade under Richard the Lionheart. Pitt became an MP at 21, immediately before the Battle of Yorktown in 1781 made it clear that the American Revolution had succeeded and the British had lost. By then, the country's finances were in a desperate state. Out of annual tax revenues of about £13 million, £8 million went on just the interest on the national debt of £234 million. Most of the money came from peculiarities like a gin tax. The authorities aimed to avoid direct assessment of people's income, a damned un-English idea as they used to say. Pitt, influenced by Adam Smith, whose Inquiry into the Nature and Causes of the Wealth of Nations had been published just a few years earlier, planned to sort out the financial muddle with new taxes which fell principally on the well-off. These included new assessed taxes on male and female servants, on horses, on carriages, varying according to whether four-wheeled or two-wheeled, and on houses. He managed to invent taxes on everything from gaming licences to dogs and hair powder and came up in 1797 with the brilliant idea of the triple assessment, which assessed taxpayers on the basis of what they had paid the previous year and tripling it. Actually, more than tripling it. Let's not remind the Treasury about that one. But then came the crisis. War with France. Suddenly, the army and the navy both needed major expenditure necessitating unprecedented borrowing and increased taxation. And so it was that in the budget of 1798, income tax was introduced, coming into effect the following year. All annual incomes over £200 were to be taxed at 10%. Those earning between £60 and £200 were taxed at a graduated rate from just under 1% upwards. No one was taxed on incomes below £60, which given that an ordinary soldier's annual income was about £14, was itself quite a hefty sum. This was a very different tax threshold from the £12,570 we have today, a threshold that ensures that everyone in full-time work pays income tax. At first, the tax was highly unpopular and was widely evaded, particularly among merchants and manufacturers. It only raised 60% of what Pitt had hoped. It was thought to be too intrusive into people's private financial circumstances. But in time, it came to be seen as a patriotic duty for winning the war against Napoleon. When a lasting peace was finally achieved after Waterloo, income tax was abolished. And there was even a symbolic public burning of the government records relating to the tax. It was brought back by Robert Peel in 1842, And despite repeated promises to abolish it by both Tories and Whigs, and by both Disraeli and Gladstone, it has remained with us ever since. At least nowadays we don't have to sit through the sort of five-hour-long budget speech which Gladstone, as Chancellor, delivered in 1853, in which he outlined his seven-year plan to do away with income tax.